Hey everyone, I've got another podcast I think you'll like. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. As a former world champion, George knows a thing or two about the ring, but there's much more to the fight game than knockouts. Join the club every Wednesday to hear from promoters, trainers, fighters, and a whole heap of boxing legends, like this episode with Barry McGuigan. If you like rivalries, check out the episode with Carl Frock. Just search for the George Groves Boxing Club in your podcast app now. This is a crowd podcast. You know when everyone wants a piece of you? And they knocked him out, I chinned him properly. Barry's got a phenomenal eye for talent. You can't leapfrog that bit. And the referee went, Rick! The best boxing podcast on the planet. 1-0, Barry, easy money. I chinned him in the second round. Let's get on with it. I'm George, he's Deck. Hello, it's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck, how are you? I'm not bad, George. How are you? I'm not bad. Yeah. I'm not it's bad. It's a big question, that, isn't it? I don't yeah. know how to unpack it, but yeah, I'm fine. How's the vocal cords? Uh, yeah, holding up, I think. How's the brain? Firing all cylinders? Good question as well. Another difficult one. Not prepared to answer that. I'm not going to go off tangents. I've tried to come off coffee a little bit lately. Have well, you? Yeah, I mean, I was only ever really a one-a-day guy. Very but now, now like a one-every-few-days guy. What you replaced it with? Nothing yet, so I'm going to see if the brain still works. Mm. I had one this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what a start just in case just in case well you're going to need it because this is a hell of an episode it is one hell of an episode this might be the reason why I have decided to go into the coffee lean into the coffee mm. got Barry McGuigan in who is an encyclopedia of information I know Barry of course he uh, everyone knows Barry but I actually personally know him Deck that's yeah. why he's coming and that's <laughs> why he's, he's, that's why he's yeah. in the club uh, the father to my former trainer Shane McGuigan was in the gym an awful lot during the tail end of my career when I was training with Shane and you know like always we're looking for someone to help you with some similarities on your journey and he'd been involved in so many huge fights and lots of similarities that I could sort of um, pick out and take his experience from and uh, looking forward to having him come in and, and tell us a few things about his career. He's the uh, he's the latest member of the club speaking mm -hmm. of members of the club we've had some uh, we've had some messages. We've had we've had a ton of ton of messages. We've had there. a heap of them and we Gotta say, so grateful for all of them. Keep them coming in, good, bad, and ugly. Go on, George. Why don't you read that? Yeah, we'll start positive. One? Go on, go first one. Right, well, seventy-one Terry twenty-seven. Go on, seventy-one Terry twenty-seven. Legend. Right. He listened to the first couple of episodes. He really enjoyed them. Bosh. I think he undersold the really enjoyed them. But yeah. Loved the content and insight into the mindset and things that go on that the public don't see. Now that is a very good point because. That's what we're trying to do, and that it? was the plan. Dude. That's it, and you know, sometimes when we do these pods, we're like, "Are we even doing what we hope to do?" But old seventy-one Terry twenty-seven, thanks for that because we it's bolstered us because that's what we want to do. And actually, if there's any epi any themes and features that people want to outside of boxing, think I've never known what that means, but I wish I did. Get it? T tell us about it because we'll do an episode on it. Yeah, we 100%. will. We will. We haven't run out of ideas no, it does. I know it sounds like we're asking people to do our job for us yeah. but we are yeah. so please anything you can think of yeah. bring it in we also had a message in from CPUDS94 love CPUDS94 blinding episode blinding episode that was about, yeah go on about the Sourland Sourland brothers that, that was a banger it was a banger mm. yeah they, they, I mean they're always on the form unless you get, get both of them in the only thing we didn't manage to do was to get them sparring <laughs> Which was, we were close. On an audio podcast, so it's a bit of a waste, isn't it? It's just, we didn't got a camera crashing. in it. Yeah. Lots of German swearing. I'll tell you what, George, you, you can read us up. I, I heard 
that Carlos Chap has been in touch as well. He's loving the podcast. Big up Carlos Chap. That's what he said. He said, he said, loving the podcast. And sometimes that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, loving the podcast. And if you're not loving it, I'll probably keep that to yourself, actually. Do we want to hear that? Yeah, might as well send it in if you if you if you hate it as well. Underscore Instaman, double N, underscore and the double N. So he's he's singling himself out. Is there. it Instaman or Instaman? <laughs> I'm saying Instaman. I reckon it is like Herman. Oh, Instaman. Yeah, probably Instaman. Instaman, Instaman, can you let us know? Anyway, he said these pods are brilliant. Get Eddie Hearn on it. it would be great to listen to him talking about your relationship and dealings with him. Now, funny you should say that, Eddie Hearn top of our hit list maybe not number one but he's up there he's in or about he's he's ranked with the wbo i'd like to get, I'd eddie, love on. To get eddie in he's ducking us so far he's busy boy though isn't he he's busy i haven't even tried to reach out because i don't want to get left on a you know on a blue tick mm. probably not even a blue tick actually no i'm gonna have to i think it's it's an in-person job like an ambush where he's like yeah yeah, yeah no problem mate yeah That's well we're softening up we i mean probably doing impressions i ain't gonna help but if you could do a really good impression we could just pretend he was here yeah <laughs> I've listened to enough of him over the years. I reckon oh, Eddie Hearn says it sounds a bit like he's been in Swindon. <laughs> so he's got a little Swindon twang. Down the M4. Anyway, I think that's enough comment. Keep them coming in. Keep them coming in. Keep sending us ideas for music as well for the playlist because the playlist is is big now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really real exciting. Pe- people, are, people are in. Should we bring Barry in? I think we've got to get him in. Come, Barry. Let's Come go. On, Barry. Special guest here today. Deck, Peter, Hall of Famer. And that's just you. No, no, no. <laughs> Trumps me by a long way. It's my good friend, Barry McGuigan. Barry, thanks for coming on the show, mate. All, I, 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 uh, delighted to be on with you, George. We're trying to create a club. Great. We want anyone who listens yep. has joined the club. Great. You're in now. Well, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in, so I... I you can't I'll, leave. There's no subs. You yeah. haven't got to pay. Yeah, that's <laughs> you just did. Right. Yeah. That's great. Well, just I'm, make sure you do your running. And make sure you, do, you, you we weigh yourself Keep up your every session. Yeah, <laughs> so we can ask. But I tell you what, look, why don't we start there at the very beginning, Barry? Mm-hmm. You made the Wattlebridge Amateur Boxing Club very, very famous. Which what makes, if you look back at it, if you look back now, knowing what you know, what do you think makes a good amateur boxing club? Coaches and an enthusiastic back team. So you need a good secretary for competition secretary. A couple of coaches, ideally, who are enthusiastic and really want to, you know, want to make the guys improve and are willing to travel to other clubs to get sparring. Because George will tell you, even the fundamentals is, is you, you teach basic uh, stance, guard, footwork, but then... You have to you have to instill technique in them, and courage. And courage comes from getting into sparring. That's the most difficult thing for kids. The, the most difficult thing to overcome for youngsters is actually that first spar. Those embryonic stages where you're getting the kids in for the first couple of spars are the most crucial if you want to get them out the other end as decent amateur boxers. How um how quickly were you sparring then? You said it was important to be sparring with you. Well, I'd already been sparring with my brother, so yeah, yeah. but he was my only sparring partner because when I went to the club, there was a guy called Paul Connolly who's a guard and he had won the Irish Seniors for Wattlebridge, and uh, but he was based down in Port Leash uh, in the guards and and although he was from the countryside about four miles away, he was no longer actively involved with the club because he was now in the guards. He was representing Wattlebridge and the guards mm. basically, but he was based down there. So, but it, it was just after about sort of four or five months, I, I got no sparring, so I just left and we went to the Smithborough Club which had started in the 1960s 
and it closed after about four years and then it reopened again. So when I went out there, there was a whole host of guys there and I could get sparring. But, you know, reasonably quickly I was good. So to spar the men and spar the bigger guys. So, but that's how it started. Mm. How quickly were you sparring, George, when, after you walked in the, the doors at the Dell? Yeah, so I'd done uh, kickboxing, the infamous, everyone's done kickboxing. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so I was a kickboxer, weren't I, like everyone else? But I'd actually fought on the, the pro shows um, from a real early age, like eight, nine years old. And being. But you're pretty successful at it, right? Yeah, I was good at it, but everyone else is in kickboxing, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot <laughs> Someone's got to lose. There's a lot of world, world champions there. Um, How many years were you kickboxing before you went to the so club? Three years. Wow, three so years. Three years I was kickboxing from seven. Uh, I did both, so I stopped when I was 13, but started boxing when I was 10, so I did both for, for a few years. Um, and the, the the old Dale Youth, which was in a in a morgue, converted morgue God in uh, Notting Hill. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit morbid in there. Uh, you, there, was, <laughs> there was no room for anyone or anything, and there was definitely no room for spectators. But I'm like a kid, I'm 10 years old, do you know what I mean? And it was uh, from Hammersmith to uh, sort of Latmer Road, where we were, it was a fair distance. My dad sort of had to linger around, and dad would just be sort of, awkwardly in the way for the first couple of weeks <laughs> and Ernie Harris who's sadly no longer with us he was the competition secretary who was brilliant again yes. you know made sure all the kids were looked after matched properly everything that was needed to be taken care of he, he would do that and he said to my dad one day how are you getting on uh, and my dad said yeah yeah I'm just brought, brought my lad down just having a look and uh, he was so offended yeah. <laughs> the fact that he thought we were there to scout out the club if it was good <laughs> enough because Ernie's like we had seven national champions last year. <laughs> um, my dad told me, don't tell anyone you're doing in kickboxing. Just yeah, keep that quiet. Just keep that quiet because I don't know whether he thought someone would try and take a liberty with me or he didn't like the idea of people because we'd see people come to the kickboxing club and say, oh, I've done this, I've done that and you put them in, they're useless. Yeah. So un undersell yourself. So uh, Peter Carson, who was one of the one of the coaches down there at the time, he used to say, "I'll take the sausage mob." So it, anyone who was no good, <laughs> he used to try and take him in the side room and take him on pads. So I was part of the sausage mob, but not for long. Um, <laughs> and you could hear me trying to wah, 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 trying to bash away on these pads. So he'll be all right, Mick. Get, get, get George or whatever they call you. They, they never call you by your real name for like at least two years because they can't remember <laughs> it. It's like too many uh, to remember. Yeah, uh, I just went in and um, yeah. Bash, bash, living, living granny out of a bunch of the newbies down there. Yeah, yeah. What sort of age were you, Barry, at this point, that, that first bout? I was 12. Wow. Um, I was 12 when I, I, I mean, that, that that's a pretty uh, advanced age. But I mean, the nearest sort of decent club to us, you know, big club was Inniskill and ABC, which was run by a guy called uh, Campbell. And uh, Davy actually ended up being a professional fighter. His father, da Davy Sr., ran the club for many years. But you know, we went north and south, even in the midst of all the trouble. So, and it was treacherous stuff traveling through you know, along the border. And you'd come round the corner, and the army would be out with these little red lights. And you'd have the, maybe a couple of all your seamen with them. And you come round the corner at 60, 70 miles an hour. You know, <laughs> you weren't supposed to be doing that. <laughs> but that's the way we drove. <laughs> and we come round the corner, my old man, and, and slamming on the brakes. And it was like, it was scary, scary stuff. Uh, you kind of became accustomed to it. And, and if you had a pair, of sort of boxing gloves hanging on the on the the, the rear view mirror 
they let you go through. I mean, once they knew you were involved in boxing, there was like almost like a, a special dispensation. Don McCrea wrote that book a couple of years ago about it. Um, and it was, you know, boxing had almost, you, you had like a dispensation. You could go through to different places. And I, I used to go to, I used to remember, I remember I used to spar Davy Larmer uh, and he was a young pro. Well, he wasn't a young pro, but he, he left it quite, and he's a bantamweight when he won the gold medal in, in 74 in, in Christchurch in the Commonwealth Games and good fighter. Boy, I remember him trying, trying to beat the living daylights out of him. I was only like 17, <laughs> but he, he could, like, he really go for it. So there was no, there was nothing held back. So I remember we went to the Shankill Road and it was a, you know, deeply uh, Protestant area. But, you know, when you did the gloves on and they knew who you were or what you were doing, I'm going down to Spire, Davy, that's fine. That was like, it was almost like you had that free pass. Because you won, you won the All-Irish Championships, yeah? Yep. So would that would North and South actually box each no, other? No, no, no. That, that was the one sport, apart from rugby, it's the only other sport that has a 32-county team. Mm. I won this Ulster Seniors in 1978. I remember knocking out Shawnee Russell, Hugh Russell's brother Sean, in, and everybody was like flabbergasted. Never thought I could do it, and I I, I chinned him in a, in the second round, and uh, had this mop of raven hair, and he used to go boom, and it was like <laughs> mad power happy, you know, trying to flatten everybody. But I nailed him and stopped him, and so I was a choice for the Commonwealth Games team, and we went to Edmonton, Canada. Talk about going to the. Smith Bar Amateur Boxing Club from the Wattle Bridge Club they had a competition secretary who got you fights but then of course I was winning and, and flattening kids and I could bang even when I was a child and so you turn up at a fight and, and nobody would fight you <laughs> yeah. so we often we wouldn't go until we were guaranteed a fight yeah, so that that's, it started really in the mid-70s. I won my first national title in 1977. I won the best boxer of the tournament. It was in Limerick. And uh, and then I was 16 when I won the Ulster Seniors. So when the Commonwealth Games team came along, I was picked. And that's really the start of it all. Um, and I then went to uh, and won the Irish Seniors. I only won one national senior title, believe it or not, because I broke my hand in 1979. I was out representing Ireland in Romania, won the gold medal won the, in a multinational term, but I broke my hand and then the seniors were coming up. So I missed them and I couldn't win them. So the next year, I knew it was Moscow, 1980, the Olympic year. So I won the Irish uh, seniors then and won the under-21s. And the guy that beat me in the Irish juniors was a guy called Mick Holmes. He beat me in, and they were all taught to fight and punch in combinations like pros instead of the big sort of jabbing and, and stealing points like the amateurs did. So uh, he beat me in the Irish juniors. I was furious and I'm going to get you back. So in the Irish under-21s, we boxed in Drogheda and I knocked him out. I chinned him properly and uh, I, I was delighted and determined to do it again in the Irish in the Irish seniors, but I couldn't, get, I couldn't get him out in the Irish seniors. But that was Moscow year. And then I went to the European juniors and I won two fights and then I fought a guy. Uh, I knocked out a Czechoslovakian guy uh, no, he was from Yugoslavia, and uh, and I stopped the Italian, and then in the semi-finals I fought a guy called Yuri Gladyshev, who won the World Junior Championships in December '79, and the Irish wouldn't send the team out there, and I fought him, and I beat 
the living daylights out of him and they gave it to him and I was so f f furious. He was tricky and, and awkward but I you know, battered him and then I went home and of course I was picked for the Olympic Games so then I had to just you know, uh, get myself back, you know, back at it. But you, you speak there and you were travelling all over Ireland, obviously representing Ireland as well. And, you know, George had with, with London and, you know, Joe Calzaghe in Wales and Josh Warrington in Leeds, that feeling of belonging, that feeling of of representing, representation, how important was that to you? And how did that feel at that time in your life? No, no, it was hugely important. And, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, I move, I'll move on from there because I, I won the Commonwealth Games gold medal. And I remember coming home to after winning the gold and I was I was lucky in the final. I fought a, a guy, a Papua Guinea guy called Tumat Sigolik. What a name. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, he could punch, my God. There were only two times I was ever, like, didn't know where I was in, in, in the fights were against him and against Juan Laporte just before I fought for the world title. And uh, this guy could, he was built, I'll never forget, you know the way they used to send out, like, the bantamweights and the lightweights? Yeah. And then they'd send out the flyweights and the featherweights. So there was two weight divisions, right? So I'm walking to the ring and look across and said, that must be the lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> I get into the ring and I go, I mean, because yeah. <laughs> he was built like, I swear to God almighty, he had arms on him like my legs and he dropped me, but I'd never been hit like in my life. Christ almighty, it was a tremendous punch. Yes, so that, that was the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So I fought for Northern Ireland in the Commonwealth Games because, as I mentioned, my, my, my father's family were all from County Tyrone. My mum's family from were from Rosslea, which is just over the border from Clonus in County Fermanagh. But I remember coming back to Monaghan and they had a big reception in Monaghan. There wasn't that many people. There was probably 150 people. You know, I'd, I'd represented Northern Ireland, right? And it's in the middle of the Troubles and it's 78, which is, you mm. know, it started in the late 60s. So they were escalating all the time. And I heard the rumblings of a few guys at the back, sort of, mm, no, I'm not sure I want to be here supporting that. And they just walked into this crowd and thought, what's going on, you know? So you could feel it at that stage that there was, you know, there was, Clonus was a Republican town, like, big Republican town and Monaghan was as well so uh, Monaghan town was a, you know the, the, the county town you know Monaghan itself so you could feel the tension and so then when I fought and I took out British citizenship to fight for the British title uh, you know there would have been the hardened Republicans who were <laughs> would not have liked it the majority of people 95% of the population liked me and, and, and loved the fact that uh, you know I could fight, I was aggressive and I was entertaining. But there would have been the hard-bitten loyalists and the hard-bitten re Republicans that would not have been friends of mine. So it was a it was a very tense and treacherous time. And then, of course, when Barney Eastwood, and he was probably the instigator of it, and I went along with it, we, we boxed with... You know the the United Nations flag of peace. Our shorts were my shorts were made out of that in the blue dove of peace with the, the with the with the dove on my shorts, and we were said we're not going to get involved in all this politics and you know uh, and you know and my dad sang Danny Boy, which was very important to us. Danny Boy was a everybody owned Danny Boy. It wasn't just a Protestant or a Catholic song. And as I say, the music and sport were 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 normally the things that you didn't touch. I remember, for example, when I beat Sean Russell and the Ulster Seniors, we had, a couple of weeks later, East Germany were doing a tour of... Now, this was East Germany. This is before the wall came down, right? So these guys were all on steroids and were all trained and were from a knee-high to a grasshopper taken off. Their families 
if they showed talent, were brought into the cities and they were trained and trained and brought to school. And so it was a proper professional regime. So these guys were all really super talented. And uh, I, I got to fight. And again, I remember the name of the guy. And it was in the Shankill Road, right? The Shankill Road Social Club, which was the Protestant side of town. And Jerry's story, because he was so heavily involved in keeping harmony amongst the different religions, he, because it was his team, they were sacrosanct. They were, nobody would ever touch him. And so, uh, and I remember going into this club and it was like, just heaving, absolutely heaving. And you will remember, but even in, in your time, like the, some of these nightclubs, there'd be no air conditioning, were like roasting warm, <laughs> uh, people smoking their brains out and you're in there <laughs> trying to fight. And after like two seconds, your mouth was arid and dry. And yeah. <gasps> but, but anyway, so we were in this place and uh, apparently we was told later that there was a, a mile of a section cordoned off around this that nobody could come into. But I remember fighting this guy, this East German guy, who just beaten the national champion down in Dublin at Bantamweight. And he was six foot tall and he was 54 kilograms. Nice. And he wasn't skinny, George. He, <laughs> like, he, like, he, he, was, well, he, was, he was slender, of course, but he had wide shoulders and his name was Torsten Koch. And he had he was beautiful boxing, great great skill. Gussie Farrell was the was the Irish bantamweight champion, and he was in my sights for the national title. And uh, he boxed the ears off Gussie Farrell and wobbled him and gave him a couple of counts. And I thought, right now I'm going to have a go at this guy. And, and Jerry Jerry Story wanted me to prove that I could beat him, so I beat this guy. The crowd went apoplectic, and I just ran after him the whole way around the <laughs> ring and nonstop on him, on him, on him, and uh, uh, and I won. Winning that was really important, but more importantly, it was in the middle of all the worst trouble, and we were in deep into. East Belfast, you know, up in uh, up in the Protestant side of town, where you know all these people, working class people, were, and they were exactly like the, the the Catholics. They were all very tense because of the trouble, and 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 it was just such an amazing atmosphere. I remember my dad got up with the band and he sang a couple of songs because dad was a professional singer, and and it went, it just brought, it brought the house down. So we had a particularly good night that night. Your dad sounds like a fantastic man. Yeah, he was he was great fun. Do you know the the quote that comes? Do you know the Rocky quote when Adrian says to Rocky? How come you become a fighter? And he says, because I can't sing or dance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said to you, Barry? I don't know. You well, can I, sing I, can, I actually can oh, sing. Yeah. That Go sounds on. very bumptious, but uh, <laughs> I, I can hold a tune. Not like him, but but I can I can hold a tune. I read a story about him. He had a particularly famous support act in yeah. Malta. Yeah. You know oh yes, indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. David Bowie was was <laughs> was it was after the Eurovision Song Contest in '68. He was out in in Malta, uh, and he was the the big act, right? <laughs> and, and David Bowie was on the undercard. On the undercard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's 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 a fact. Uh, but he, so he he was you know as I say. Uh, well travelled and he used to go to New York uh, to what the band with the various bands that he was in they, they would go to do a six week stint in, in the Bronx in a, a big Irish club which had two or three floors on it and um, it was called Dirty Nellies and uh, he used to his usual thing every day he'd pop down to Gleason's to watch all the fighters training he got friendly with um, the lawyer Rudy Greco 
that was it. Rudy Greco was was the that's a good lawyer oh, name. Yeah, that's yeah, a proper yeah, lawyer yeah. name. And, he, and he, Rudy was the was was the lawyer, and he was a really generous guy. And he said, "Dad came down. He befriended Dad, and Dad said, i 'I've got a young kid who's doing well. He's I." I think uh, I had just sort of turned pro at that stage. So he went out there every year right through the 80s and uh, and he'd do a six-week stint. So it was quite quite a long stint and, and it was obviously profitable for him and the band and all of that. But his, every day he would go down and watch the guys train. And Rudy was uh, said to him, you know, you must come up to the Catskills with me. I want to show you this kid. He's called Michael Gerald Tyson. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he came home and said, Barry, this kid is like <laughs> phenomenal. He's you know, re, you know, re, you know, he was joking. But he said, "Remortgage your house <laughs> and put all the money on on this guy winning the, the title." But you know, I, I, I am joking. But that's how excited he was about him. But so he turned out to be great. But I, you know, and I've got pictures of him, and t- there's a picture of Tyson with a little Polaroid picture, and my dad standing beside Tyson, and uh-huh. he was like. He was only a kid himself, but like really muscular. And after after working out with with Cuss, and I don't think Kevin Rooney had come in at that stage. But Rooney came in afterwards. I think uh, Teddy Atlas was still was still involved. How, how hard is that at that time, bro? You mentioned Mike Tyson. He obviously had to deal with it a lot. Yeah. But you know, when everyone wants a piece of you, how do you manage that? Well, the interesting thing was I I was always very approachable and very uh, kind to people and always give them time and always spend time with people and and, and my poor brother God rest him he he said to me Barry stop this mate you can't you know spend five minutes talking to everybody because otherwise you'll have, your days will be it'll be gone so there's no doubt about it that I enjoyed that I enjoyed talking and communicating with people uh, and of course you like when you see people light up, it makes you feel good about yourself, you know. And and it's always it was as much for me as it was for them. But I always give people time. Does that resonate with you, George? You know that feeling when you're knocking about in West London and people want to chat to you and talk to you all the time. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Because you've got to make a decision, haven't you? Am I going to be? Am I going to give everyone my time, or am I going to just try and? Shut it off and not try and not, yeah. not do any of it. I mean, but Barry's Barry's much more skillful. I am at conversations. <laughs> no, no, absolutely but, not. Uh, you know, sometimes people want to talk to you about boxing all the time, and you realise I've forgotten to develop any conversational skills. You know, and I go, well, "What do you do for a living, metal and plumber?" All right. Uh, I've got no follow-up question for that. <laughs> you know, but I really want to talk about you because I don't want to talk about boxing today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's unrivaled, really, your popularity at the time. The fact that the open tour bus after you win the belt at Loftus Road, yeah. both in the north and in yeah. the south, is phenomenal. The fact that you box for a world title in London as yeah. well yeah. just shows you... Well, Pedroza wouldn't come. Mm. Pedroza wouldn't come to Belfast because he'd watched the ABC had covered me from 84. And I'd, I'd so this, the first fight I had on American TV, coast to coast, was against a guy called Paul Divorce. And he was a little chunky guy just carved out of marble, really tough kid from New York. And uh, I, I beat him up and stopped him in the sixth round, but he was raw, strong and heavy-handed. And I, But I boxed him, and, but moved around and stayed in the centre of the ring and then just attacked him and put it on him because most people stood off him. So I put it on him and he, he couldn't handle the pace and I just went at him and non, non-stop. And the jab was great that night, slapping it into his head. And, and American TV were there and... Um, 
Boza Edwards was on the undercard and he fought uh, another he just lost the world super featherweight title I remember sparring with him in, in uh, up in Barney's gym our last he was with with us for the last sort of couple of weeks and in Castle Street and uh, I remember thinking wow he's big big for the for the weight and I think that hurt him because he was really a lightweight but he boiled down, down to super feather it hurt him to try and get back to that way because again you weighed in in the morning mm. you fought in the afternoon you know what I'm saying you you didn't have time to put on 15 16 pounds that people do nowadays and sometimes more George <laughs> <laughs> never more but yeah I get, you, I get your point you know what I mean? um, I'm only joking being no, facetious no, no, but, but uh, you know you, the modern day guys are you know and, and, and what you do is you train for that you train for that weight, so you, you if you're walking around at, you know, for example, I used to walk around at one forty seven, one forty six, and I'd so which is ten stone six, ten stone seven, but I fought at nine stone, and I always trained, so I never allowed myself to blow up to enormous weights, but I would go to one forty five, one fifty sometimes, so that's big, especially when you're fighting on the day. But what I do is, in that eight weeks of of preparation, I would grind it down and hold it, grind it down to the next little bit. You know, in other words, drop my weight a little bit more, hold it again, and so that you were you you were getting stronger at that weight. Barry, can I ask? I think it'd be fascinating for not just. Um, fighters who are competing now but people who listen at home and maybe trying to get themselves in shape can you talk us a little bit about the training you was doing back when you was fighting and maybe even some stuff that you think is different to what you've seen Shane doing with his fighters yeah. now in the gym obviously you was preparing for 15 rounds as well which for me is like <laughs> I mean it takes your breath away when, when you're actually fighting and you're three rounds in and you're like for me, in my brain, I'll be like, oh, I'm just starting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the interesting thing, if, it, if it's, in, and you've been in some hellish fights, George, so you know, if you were blowing out your arse, you're four rounds into a fight and you, from halfway through the first round, you've been busting your nuts and you're, you're fighting at a real heavy pace. Unless you've done, and I know because I saw you, you know, hundreds of rounds of sparring, intense sparring at intense pace, you're going to be flagging. I've sparred very similar to you. We we got in so many South American guys. We we got in this guy called uh, Jose Marmaleo who who fought Antonio Asparagosa for the World Featherweight title. Looked very like Pedroza, a uh, similar style. We got a, a, and a guy called Ezekiel Mosquit who was a lightweight from Panamanian lightweight champion. We got in Camar- Carmelo Negron, little small chunky guy from New York. Gerald Hayes, who was who had fought Pedroza and gone sort of nine rounds of them. Uh, I think he was stopped in the ninth round. Obviously, haven't had the experience, and he was great sparring too. Then we had David Irvine, who was a, a welterweight. We had a guy called Pepe Moore, who was a light welterweight. We had uh, Davy McCauley used to spar. What we do with Davy because Davy was a, a feather or a flyweight, they threw f- uh, Davy in at the end. But you know, and we didn't hold. I didn't hold back. Yeah. And I remember him saying one time in boxing, you know, McQuiggan's a bastard." Because my attitude. And I remember being on the Irish team. We'd be training, and I would put in an extra couple of rounds on the pads, and say, that "I'd implore Jerry's story to do an extra few rounds." Okay, he said, and they hit the bag, and I'd do the skipping and in the sprints. I was always trying to beat everybody in the sprints, and we'd yep. do two miler, two and a half mile as fast as we could run. I was always up at the front, pushing, 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 and the guys used to say to me, "Like, what are you doing?" And I said, "Because 
I'm doing it because, you know, if I get four fights into an international competition, I'm going to need that extra bit. I used to bomb along, and so we, we never ran with the sparring partners, never. In down in Clonus, it would be longer runs, and, and I'd have either my brother-in-law Ross on the bike with me, or I'd have somebody else running with me. I used to have a guy called John Doherty, who was a cop, who was a guard in the south of Ireland. He ran with me. He was a good runner. Yeah, and then I'd train again in the evening. So I was always training. And so that when I get to camp, that really was when I started thinking about, you know, sparring. Mm-hmm. And we'd do loads of pads at home. And then I'd go into, I'd be sharp as a razor when I get to camp. Then I'd start sparring. And then we'd go right through. You know, I don't think I ever done a camp longer than eight weeks. And it was just about weight management after that and then taking it down slowly. I think I'd done two 15-round spars. One was before the Pedroza fight. I remember then doing 15 rounds one other time for the uh, fight against Bernard Taylor, uh, which was in the in, he was mandatory defence. He was Pedroza's mandatory defence. The WBA let him have a voluntary against me and then on the basis that if I won I would pick up the, the mandatory against him. Uh, it was in the King's Hall and Taylor was called the BT Express and he was like brilliantly talented, like so good. He'd built, he'd beat the Cuban Adolfo Horto who fought Rudy Fink in the final but boxed the ears of him and beat him a number of times so he was a world class talent who didn't turn up in Moscow so he had turned over and everybody was raving about him beautiful skills and, and love to move and quick as lightning like Sugar Ray Leonard style have a look at him if you get a chance really was great to watch but I knew that I, I just I just put him under pressure and just never leave him alone and uh, that's exactly what happened I, I fought him in my first defence and I'd done a 15 rounder again but this time it was in the gym and my weight was good it was at the end of September I'd fought in June and beat Pedroza I had to pick this up reasonably quickly so it was September in the King's Hall it was still reasonably hot the place was absolutely banging and walking to the ring he was intimidated no question uh-huh. about it and uh, the, the, the the noise was deafening and I never left him alone as soon as that bell went I just went on you I was looking interestingly enough last night at the at the you know you look up box rec and you see a record and you can go back and, and look at the points I was three rounds ahead on two of the cards and two rounds ahead on the other one. But I, I just walked him down, walked him down and he just, I, I could feel him breathe. <sighs> and I knew, and I was I was nailing him to the body and I hit him a few times, the referee warned me and I, I lifted it up a bit higher and I used to, I used to throw the left hook up the middle and deliberately lifted, lifted in so they would put their elbow in. Yeah. And then I come, I go, bump. The first one was light. The second one, I'd just stick it in their, in their short ribs with that long left hook round the side. And then I could listen. And I showed them and go, oh. <laughs> and and when it when I I knew, I knew that every time I knew that I'd hurt them, then I'd be just da, 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 on them, on them, on them, you know. That was that was the first offense, right? That was the first, that was first offense. Was a, you must have felt at that point you were at the peak of your powers, like the fame, well, but also uh, you're in the ring. You must yeah. have just felt invincible at that point. Well, I, I never felt invincible. Uh, um, it was hard work. It was always a realist. I was always aware of my frailties and you're only as good as your latest opponent you know what I'm saying so you have to you have to continue to train and put the effort in and everything else so I was never cocky I was always very humble and always aware of what was around the corner as it were Um, and so the next defence then I was supposed to fight 
a guy from Argentina and he pulled out twice. Fernando Sosa was his name. That was my second defence and it was in Dublin. And we decided because of all the politics we'd, we'd fought in, in the North, second defence was going to be in Dublin. It was at the end of February 1986. I'll never forget it. I was in the hotel at, um, at Dublin uh, near the rugby ground and Wales was playing Ireland in the afternoon and then they went to Lansdowne or went to the RDS to watch me in the, in the evening but I never got a, a, a wink sleep the night before because there's so much people walking up and down and anyway I, I, I stopped him in the 13th round he was a tough kid I, I hit him with everything he could just like rubber he could take so many shots but I, I got him out of there in the in the 13th I had him down in the eighth, gone completely, and the referee made a complete hands of it. He, he, I ran over down and bam, 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 and his legs were going, and, and their corner jumped up on the side of the ring, and the referee sort of left the action and ran over to the, to, to the corner and gave off to this guy, and I sort of stopped and held back. Uh, um, <laughs> as nice. you do, <laughs> um, but anyway, it was it, it was great fun. Uh, it was great fun, and it was he was a tough kid, and he went twelve rounds with or eleven rounds with Azuma Nelson too, so he could he could fight this kid and could take a good shot. That's the worst when you think a fight is over as well, yeah. and you think oh, I've won this, yeah. and then it's not over yet. <laughs> you're you're like, a bit with like finishing a run, and yeah. then you're like, oh, yeah. go, go. Yeah. <laughs> another lap, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same happened with Tudinov fight, didn't it? I remember you sort of gesturing to the referee, like yeah. I mean, not quite as bad because it, it was it was near enough over edge. straight away. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but then there's a couple of fights where yeah, you but think, it went it went on as Steve Gray and it went stop on, it, yeah. stop <laughs> it, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, well, exactly. Yeah, I mean that was that was a that was a beat down. I mean, it was such such great excitement in Bramley in that night. Yeah. It's fabulous. That, that so that fight that second defence was that was early '86. But George, we've got it written down there. What else happened in 1985 that was notable for Barry as well as winning the world title? Right, this is to show in the level of... Level of fame. Level of fame. Yeah. T- Tiger Woods level of Tiger fame. Tiger Woods level, yeah. <laughs> Barry McGuigan. Yeah. The the release of your own computer game. Yeah. In 1985, it was Barry McGuigan's World Championship. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It was a Barry McGuigan's boxing world or whatever it was. Mm. I, d- I don't remember it that long ago, but I remember it, 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 at the time it was... Big stuff, and it was people. Lo- people loved it. They said it was a great game. Not it is a great game. Yeah. I've watched. I watched yeah, it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I wish I could have yeah. played it. <laughs> Barry McGuigan World Championship Boxing. You can do like a career mode, I assume, where you go through and you're fighting these different fighters, and then you could stipulate how much training you wanted to do to develop yourself in particular areas. All right, we've go. got light bag. Yes. Uh, heavy bag. <laughs> I'll take uh, light, please. Yeah. <laughs> Road work, weights, and sparring time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty intricate then. It says, yeah. Yeah, even then it was pretty good. You know, weights is interesting. That's, that the strength and conditioning thing has become, that you know, since I've talked about this with George before, but that's that's the new thing. We we I did bench press at squat, but I, there was nothing more than that. And, and but we do press-ups, chin-ups, dips. That was it, uh, and you chin this way, you chin that way, and you you dip and you do wide uh, press ups, wide you know your stance or your hands wide apart or narrow shoulder width apart, and that was it. And then you'd crunch and you do uh, lunges, and maybe hold a couple of dumbbells. But there was that was the that was the sort of height of strength and conditioning training. As well now is people have totally disregarded the stuff that worked 
for generation after generation of stuff that Barry's describing now. And like you speak to a strength and conditioning coach, you're like do some press ups and they pull a funny look at you as they say, what's the point in that? We can do some you know, med ball throws or this with your heart rate monitor on it. And it gets a little bit too clever and a little bit too complicated yeah. when really... It's a, fairly simple, game, it's a fairly simple business, isn't it? You can't leapfrog that bit. Yeah, you need that too. And that's what happens when you join as an amateur mm. kid. You know, mm. they don't have the... Usually they don't have the facilities. You're not all going to get an individual strength program. They're going to line you all up and do press-ups, sit-ups, skipping, squats, weighted, you know, non-weighted squats, bodyweight squats, stuff like that. Just the fundamentals. Yeah. Do you clash heads at all with Shane about this? Because he's very cutting-edge, new, new no, school. No, he, he's, he's, he's new. On he's, done, he's done strength and condition. He, that's what he started off doing. And then I got him to hold the pads for one of the fighters. And, and uh, then it all started, you know. But he's big on... Uh, S and C. There's no doubt about that, but you know only to an extent. It's not going to make you. You know, it's no point in having muscles the size of the room here if you can't fight. You can you either fight or you can't fight. So fighting Steve Cruz in Vegas, mm. which you know at the time of day you're boxing is going to be 110 degree mm-hmm. heat, and you know that before the fight starts anyway. Mm-hmm. Did you do anything different in that camp and that? Condition? Well, we what we did is we went. I went to Palm Springs which uh, is about an hour and a half south of Vegas. And we trained out there. And we trained in a tent at the back of the hotel, which is on the golf club. And it was like <laughs> bacon, bacon. But yeah, again, I don't think I could ever have won in Vegas outside because it was 110 degrees ringside. But you're forgetting that the arc lights of the television made it another 100 made it 120 degrees of course so Tommy Hearns was on before that against Mark Medal but he, he flattened him but I, I, I don't know that I could uh, you know if you think about this I could never have fought to my capacity in that heat 15 rounds that was and obviously that was what, what you did Yeah. do you feel I mean George is boxing over 12 I already said that sort of the idea of doing 15 is crazy but if you do it in the gym you can do it in the ring and, and I knew that I was still I was still Lots to go when I was when I'd done ten rounds of sparring, and so we hike it to twelve, and then we do, and we only, and, and I'm I'm sure you know we've done it with you, George, that you only have to do it once or twice in preparation for a fight, and it, it's more a psychological thing than anything else, but it also helps in weight reduction, if you're uh, if you're sparring. 10, 12, 15 rounds. It's, it's, but once you've done it, and, and I, 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 I wrote it down here, I think I had five planned 15 round fights. So, and, uh, and I went the distance only twice one winning the title and one's <laughs> losing it. But, um, it's in your mind so much of this stuff, and the game, the whole, the fight game is so much about your psychology and, you know, it's about your preparation. Preparation is absolutely essential. So if you're banging the pads and hitting it really hard and, you know, Shane could tell from George 10 rounds into a pad session, he's really whacking now and he's done 10 rounds. So you know that he's not going to have any trouble doing 12 rounds. And to an extent, it's, it's only an extension of that uh, from doing 15. And I, I had a very high level of fitness slow heart rate 44 heart rate I remember being getting ready for the Commonwealth Games and I was a kid and they, they, we were in the Holy Family Club and after doing a a, a collective training session and, and um, I can't remember the name of the doctor but anyway he came in and took all of our heart 
rate. Pronounced you dead, Barry. <laughs> 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 and he went like, and I, we were after doing it, we've done a session, it's about an hour and a half after the session, and he's just doing the medical first. So he took my heart rate and a big, strong pulse, slow. So it's 44 heart rate. So I had a good, strong heart. And I, so I was built for stamina, yeah, put it that engine. way, a good engine. So so that, that definitely helped me. And I was physically strong. And, you know, I could bench press 150 pounds when I was 14 years old. I was really physically strong. I could do, you know, 80 press-ups and 60 dips still doing them at, at, at 61 Seen years it. old it's, it's so, impressive so uh, you know so I was physically strong and that was my asset I wasn't as good a boxer the majority of the guys that were on the Irish team they were probably skillfully marginally better than me but I had great strength and I, I had drive just like George I mean he could just he would go through a brick wall because he knew he had to and it's like it's so much of it is about your mentality and you know taking shots learning how to take a shot getting hit to the body which I'll never forget in Romania and this remember I mentioned this amateur tournament and uh, this southpaw guy and he was probably 10 years older than me but he was a seasoned amateur and he was a Romanian senior champion and it was the semi-finals of this multi-nations tournament and he, we were up close and the referee, you, you always have a, I don't know about you, but you're always aware of the, the side of your eye, the referee's always there, he's either right or left, but he's always there and you're always conscious of him. And I, we were sort of mid-range and the referee went, break! And I sort of looked at him, right? And this guy buried his, he was a southpaw, buried <laughs> this backhand right up into my stomach. And I went, <gasps> <laughs> it was the panic and I took I took a knee and thank God it was the third round right and the uh, uh, referee I was absolutely banjax it was proper left right up the middle and it was I was way ahead <laughs> so I'd box the years of him and I'd hit him some good shots and whatever he took a count in the first round Jesus he hit me this shot up the middle and, and, and anyway so I went down I took every second of the count I got back up and the referee says Okay, and I, <laughs> and I ran like a rapper around the ring. He chased after me, chased after me, and I grabbed and held him, held him. And the referee warned me and told me off. But I got to the end of the round. God Almighty, I never got hit like it in my life. It was terrible. What do you reckon, George? Fifteen rounds. Sometimes when they're like, when it's just a little bit more physical and a little bit more grueling, then I mean, there's been fights where I've been miles ahead in points, but I remember when I boxed Christopher Brass after the straight after losing to Froch. And then after like round two going, oh, I'm counting down these rounds now. Yeah. And if it was 15 rounds, yeah. then like, I've got 13 rounds to go. And I'd be like, <laughs> you know you're going to get there, but it's like, oh, it's going to be a long night's yeah. work. I remember saying after, you saying that, George, I remember saying after the 13th round, Paddy Byrne was a, a cuts man in our corner. He was a great old, just a great old ways a head on his shoulders. He was originally from Dunleary in Dublin, spent most of his life in Brighton and was a cutsman in the corner. A funny, lovely guy. He used to work at Mogan's Pally in Denmark and over in Europe. Brilliant guy. And we always had him in the corner as well. So I remember he saying, what round is this? And he goes, it's the 13th. I said, the 13th round. And he says, yeah. He says, you have two rounds to beat one of the best featherweight champions in a long time. <laughs> I said, seriously? So I'd, I'd you know, my adrenaline was up so much. I didn't know where I, I didn't start. I, not that I didn't know where I was in the fight, but I knew I was doing well. So I, I, I didn't. I wasn't tired. I was 
on a high but a lot of it again is in your head if I had been had the crap beat out of me for three or four rounds I maybe wouldn't have felt so good <laughs> I'd have been counting the rounds but I didn't actually know what round it was it was two rounds to go yeah you end up being a bit of a con- well I was, was like sometimes you want to be a bit of a control freak so like you sit down and uh, you don't want to ask how was that round because you think the the TV mic might pick it up and it sounds like this fight's close well, we, to what That's the sort of thing. We were never aware of that because that, 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 that's a, a relatively, well, it's not a relatively modern thing, but think, you know, I won the title 35, 35 years ago. So in the corner, they did pick up stuff and they did make the corners, but it not, you know, it's, it's a sort of, it's an essential part of it now. So you go, so let's go to the, you know, such and such a guy's corner and hear what they have to say. That's a new and intriguing part of, of boxing because mm-hmm. guys like you who are doing the analysis in the studio or whatever, they want to hear what they say and say whether I don't necessarily agree with that mm-hmm. or I think that's a great bit of advice he's given them or whatever. So that's become a part of it as well. And sometimes you hear guys in the corner and you think, what an undercause is he talking about? You know, he's just that. It's absolutely dense. But, you know, it, 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 that's that's the way it is. I mean, I remember, like, we went into the Rocky music in 1984 for ABC in America. And they couldn't believe it. They thought, wow, this is great. We were, we were coming into... You know, dun dun da da dun da da dun da. Well, that, the original one, not the, I think that's uh, the, tag, the, the yeah, the, which was a big orchestra one. We came into that, and it was like it was huge, and it was a it was a new idea. We often think we we actually invented coming to the ring, you know, to music, but but it certainly was something new uh, way back in the, in in the sort of mid nineteen eighties. Okay, we'll take a breather there, and then Barry, what we want to do is ask you a bit about your life on the other side of the ropes. If I asked you to help me promote this show, Barry, mm. how would you go about it? Give to be able to do a role play here. Yeah, go on. <laughs> right. What do you it, reckon, Barry? What's di- what's the selling point of this show disclosure, today? Disclosure, Barry. It says on the script: ask Barry to say something nice about the show. So that was George's <laughs> setup there. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, well, well, the, don't start, uh, Barry. Uh, no, 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 I'm not stuttering. I'm just. Uh, I mean, let me just say that I, I said I would come in and do it with you, George, because oh, no. <laughs> because because. First of all, you're bright, you're intelligent, you'd ask me sensible questions, you know your stuff inside out, you know, you don't exaggerate, that's the important thing. And, you know, Dex, excellent journalist, and again, I read his stuff and you cut to the chase. So it's there's no problem having banter, but there's so much bullshit in so many of these podcasts that you just take it all with a pinch of salt. What I think... I'm getting from you and I know I'm getting from you is honesty and you know at the end of the day there are great stories you don't have to you know go over the top and and exaggerate them out of all proportion just tell tell us as much of the truth as you can you know everybody in their lives and you know it's a tough business it's a working class sport Uh, we meet phenomenal characters and uh, you know it's just it seems to be the sport that has the most crazy people in it. You know, there's enough stories <laughs> to write 10 books about. So, uh, you know, just keep it, uh, you know, uh, that sounds like a real cliche, keep it real. But just, I think what you can do, what you can bring to the podcast is just honesty. And, you know, if you've been there, done it, uh, bought the T-shirt and still have the faculties to be able to articulate your thoughts and tell your stories, 
then, you know, it can't be anything but a success. Then start a podcast. Start a podcast. The That's best, what I'm saying. That's what I'm the, saying. So, the so, best so. boxing podcast on the planet. That's what Barry <laughs> of all time. I think <laughs> we could say that. That's an official quote. What level, you say there's most podcasts full of bullshit. I don't Percent- mean that. I don't mean that. A, 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 can you just uh, give us a percentage of what, what you reckon our bullshitometer is at the moment? It's oh, you're, you're bullshit on yeah. Well, no, I, I just sincerely hope we're not bullshitting at all here. So <laughs> it's 100% at the minute. So uh, there's no bullshit. It's, it's you know, and, and you know, I'm, I can have a laugh with everybody else, but I listen to, you know, some of the stuff and I think, God, that, you know, that's an exaggerated story. There's another one. There's another one. But I'm just saying, it seems to be fairly prevalent so um, just <laughs> you must yeah. sign a yeah. you must sign a sign a waiver when you go in there you tell the truth <laughs> anyway, the truth go. the truth will always what's that what's that saying the truth will set you free yeah <laughs> <laughs> the truth will set you free uh, you're boxing through and through I think uh, fantastic uh, commentator and analyst, um, which we don't see enough of these days. I just love with listening to you on ITV, Sky, and many others. You help with management. You're involved with Shane in the gym. Is that how you're getting your boxing fix now? Would you yes, say? Yes, that's exactly how we get my boxing fix. Um, you know, I watch the Irish amateurs and uh, I, I tune in sometimes and watch the uh, Irish ABH Championships down in the National Stadium in Dublin. And when Shane says, because that's cut it out we just stop so I, yeah. I, I can't get enough no no I enjoy it I come into the gym two three times a week uh, you know I like to see the kids uh, just develop and, and get better and, and be there when they've had a hard day and just say that's it you know you have you can't have every day a good day they're all doing very well the, the gym's full of, of talented kids and uh, it's very exciting times Barry's got a phenomenal eye for talent you know sometimes when it's been overlooked you look at the success they had with, with Carl Frampton, Josh Taylor, and now even in the gym, and I'm not saying you've spotted him, Barry, maybe not, but yeah. um, Azeem Brothers seem to be doing really well. It's a gift, yeah? And what, what what would you say you'd look for in a fighter then? Would you see that maybe might have been overlooked elsewhere? Is it... Well, like, I, it can't I, always be skill and achievement. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a power guy. I like, I like guys to have power um, because... You know, you're born with power. You know as well as I do. You you can never make somebody a puncher who's not a puncher. You can improve their power. You can get them to be a little bit more courageous, to sit down on the shots, just another nanosecond more that makes the power greater and implore them not to be frightened and move out of the way all the time. You see kids and you can look at them and think they are, they're not going to be a top amateur, but I know they can be a top pro if they get the right coach. I remember sparring with Sylvester Mitty and Ray Catus and Jim Watt way back in the 70s. I remember coming over as this 15-year-old uh, to live with my Uncle Leo in Highgate. And I used to take the tube system down to Mile End and get a taxi from Mile End across to uh, Canning Town, to the Royal Oak, uh, where they, where Magri was training and Jimmy Flint was the fe- British featherweight champion and Ray Catus and Jim Watt was the world lightweight champion. And I remember doing eight rounds at Jim Watt and I was 15 years old. And then it was conditioned sparring uh, and, you know, no matter what they say, it wasn't flat out. Mm. But I, I remember the first day I came and Terry Lawless was was there and I jumped in to spar Charlie Magri and he was the European lightweight, a flyweight champion and I was only a bantamweight <laughs> and uh, and he was probably half a stone heavier than me so ding the bell goes and I didn't know the score so I just went okay this guy's going to come out so I went bang bang with a right hand and his nose started to bleed 
Terry Law says, stop. Come here. I said, me? Yeah, come here. He says, we're not fucking doing that here, mate. We're not, and I said, sorry, sorry, sorry. He says, we're not sparring like that here. I said, okay, fine. He says, just, you, you go light, you throw your shots light, you don't try and take his head off. I said, fine. But I'd already broken his nose and he was fighting an Italian in the first defence. Oh, yeah. so I've seen Charlie Magri's yeah. nose. Yeah. <laughs> so that was you, Barry. Well, yeah. No, 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 it wasn't. I had nothing to do with that, but he stayed in the game too long. But now Charlie was a lovely guy, very, very talented fighter. But, uh, you know, it was that gym, they had sparred there was conditions on the sparring mm. and as I said I sparred 68 rounds with, with, with Ray Catus and I sparred with uh, Sylvester Mitty who was a light welterweight and you know and I understand it but they didn't let everything go to it At, you know you know as well as I do that there I don't know how many conditioning spars you had didn't seem in my memory there weren't very many of them. It, was, <laughs> it, was, it was all flat out and and you know you see a lot of the stuff in the Ingle gym where it's all body sparring and that's bullshit as far as I'm concerned mm. absolute total nonsense because the reality is first of all you've got to learn how to slip a punch you've got to see that nanosecond between a shot hitting you or missing you you've got to learn how to slip it so your head's in the right p- position so you don't miss the target when you come back those shots are whistling over your head and missing you by a fraction you've got to get used to that and even though you're wearing a head guard and sometimes you know I don't think I ever wore a full full face guard but it's it's important to learn how to temper and take a shot and you learn that from the, in the gym you learn how to absorb a shot you learn how to move your head and rotate and you can hit it with 75% of the power and then roll your head after you've taken it and come back out and come back with a left hook or a right hand all of those little finer details that, that take into consideration split second timing you get that in sparring and open sparring not Condition sparring. I used to like to try and I was sparred for real. I have got real sparring partners in. Pay, tried to pay them well and and spar big guys. So you had like yeah bigger guys to take the whack. So you wanted like good like heavyweights plus exactly, really. Yeah. It's the same with me. A smaller guy in yeah. to keep you quick. Um, but again, you maybe like you said earlier, Barry, you put the the lighter guy in at the end of the spar to just keep you sharp. So if you're doing a twelve rounds today. Uh, the lighter guy would come in with three, maximum four rounds to go. When you get tired, you punch looser anyway, so sometimes you carry more power in the later rounds. But you want that guy to be nice and sharp, keep you sharp. If I can do eight rounds or six rounds or eight rounds with a light welterweight, um, I know I can do it with uh, with a featherweight. That would, so that's, that's what you're always, you know, you're thinking that you know, I want a bigger, stronger, physically impressive you know, a sparring partner so that when I can do six, eight rounds with him at a full tongue and he jumps out and then we throw a featherweight in and they feel, wow, I can just bounce him all around the ring. So it's, it's, but it, I, I honestly, I, I used to spar all of my camps with light welterweights, all, always. And because I just couldn't get a featherweight. To, I mean, the, the Mexicans would come in and Barney would take their passport off them. So they couldn't go home. <laughs> As it asked, do you treat do you treat the sparring partners nicely and no, keep them happy, or no, do you keep them miserable and no, try and get no, more out of them? No, no, no. Well, well, well the Panamanians, uh, we used to. You wouldn't uh, feed them, would well, you? No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> they, they, they used to stay in the guest house with me down in, in Bangor on uh, in on the front. We used to stay in a guest house with a girl called Mrs. Gray, and she had old 
old uh, the, the people staying residents full time with them and they had two houses big old Georgian and Victorian houses together and we used to stay there and there was you know lot, obviously lots of rooms for myself and my sparring partners I'll never f- forget one morning coming in and uh, uh, it was the first day I had two Mexican guys that were sparring with me little small guys and uh, it was November <laughs> Wow. And I came in and I knocked the door and they opened the, I opened the door and they were lying in their coats. They were cuddling. <laughs> they, were, they were lying in their coats. They were so cold. They had actually these big hoodies on them. So anyway, so I said, uh, Welcome to Ireland. Are, are, are you going to run? And they, so they, they they ran, but then it was the first day again. So I ran on and I said, come on, come on. I said, no, we run, we pissed this. So they, they were trotting. And so I was, I just left them and went on. But yeah, it's it's um, rapido, it rapido. Though. What was your Spanish <laughs> like? Exactly, <laughs> it's slightly better now. Yeah, <laughs> and then one guy, one person, or one boxer, I guess you could say, you worked with since since you retired, is Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. Us about that. Yeah, well, he was great. He was just a fabulous guy. He but he was around one hundred and sixty pounds, about eleven stone, eleven stone six, and uh, he was sparring extensively with. Um, the British welterweight champion uh, uh, who was from Reading and whose name defeats me at the oh, moment. He'll um, come back to me. Senior Byfield? No, not him. No, no this was, was many, many years ago. Okay. So we were getting ready in 97 for it. Mm. And uh, again... So the uh, film was The Boxer? It was a movie The Boxer for, yeah. with Jim Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. Jim, Jim wrote my book in 1985 and we're still great friends and uh, so we talk to each other all the time. He said to me, Barry, I want you to train Daniel Day-Lewis. And I said, <laughs> What? He said, I want you to train him. I said, what for? The movie was inspired by me because he spent his time with me. But he couldn't, because of the issues I had with Barney Eastwood, legal issues, couldn't tell the, 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 the real story. Mm. Uh, and so he, we, I told him about the Young Alley fight and it was in the World Sporting Club. It was in the, the Park Lane Hotel. That's it. Yep. And it was where there the used to be a, apparently an ice skating uh, um, arena underneath it that's where we have all the shows that's where the Queen apparently learned how to ice skate that's a bit of history for you <laughs> and uh, uh, so so anyway we I fought Young Ali you didn't Ali. teach her how to ice skate <laughs> no, 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 I didn't, I didn't. but I fought Young Ali in that arena in that little room the great room which yep. is where they have all the shows and they have the you know lovely balcony and you look down on, on the floor and uh, so I told him about the the Young Ali fight and I knocked him out in the f- sixth round, fifth or sixth round and he went into a coma and, and he never recovered and they flew him home to Nigeria and they turned the machines off after five months. So he wanted to tell the story about, but turn it around. And the, so the boxer's about this guy, IRA guy, he's in jail and he gets out and he's fed up with the guys that are have been warping his brain his whole life and he breaks away from them and he gets away from them into in boxing. And the story's about where he fights this guy and he, he's beating him up and he's and this guy's useless, or not useless, but he's about to get knocked out and, and the crowd are going, you know, go on, go on, and, and, and he's going, what are you doing? And he says to the referee, why aren't you stopping this fight? And he walks away. So he turns the story around. So I trained Dan for that. For we done, we done two and a half years of preparation for him. Wow. And he sparred. Jeff McCreesh was the guy I was looking. Mm. The name I was looking for. He was a British welterweight, British and European welterweight champion at the time. Mm. And 
you know, Jeff took it easy on him to begin with, but he was sparring flat out like six, eight rounds with with McCreesh, and and you know he was very good. That's amazing. Very good. Yeah. And, I mean, but he is the epitome of you know method, and he's really good. And we're still great friends. He came to, um, he's been so good since Nika passed, and he's been in touch with me all the time. So he's a brilliant friend and he's uh, you know he's lovely he lives over south of Dublin and then he lives in, in New York as well so he's back and forth but he says he's not going to act anymore so that's, that's usually that's disappointing but it was a it was a great show and we done very well and it got very well rated in, in the various different f- films so uh, you know the, the, the festival so um, I was happy with the it was. It all came to a sad end because it was the first time that Nika, my daughter Nika, got leukemia, and I had to leave the set. We were, we were out in the studios just south of Dublin, and, and I got the news, so I had to go uh, straight to the hospital in East London. So yeah, it was. It was, and he, of course, was in touch with me all the time. He's a he's a really great fellow, very, very kind guy, very private guy. And uh, yeah, and he's married to Rebecca Miller, who's uh, Rebecca Miller, who's Arthur Miller's daughter, and she's a beautiful girl as well. So lovely, lovely people. Should we do the feature, Barry? Then we'll let you go. It's feature time. Let you go. Feature, feature time. What's that, Barry? You're the clone of Cyclones. Weather-related quiz. <laughs> Cue that jingle. Game of Clones. Which December 2019 World Heavyweight Title rematch? came dangerously close to being postponed due to hugely surprising rainfall all evening. Are we we talking about Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr.? 1-0. Barry, easy money. Very good. Okay, Okay, George, your first question. Which ACDC song became synonymous with Arturo Gatti? Uh, Yeah, Barry, you could come in and try and nick another point here. No, I don't think I can. Oh, fuck it. I don't know. Go for it. Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. Oh, okay. I really like it. There'll uh, be people at home I shouting. A, I wasn't an ACDC fan anyway, so. Okay, this is this one, Barry. It's for 2 0. Right. To pull into the lead. We're really into the lead. Which boxer known as Black Mamba faced Costa Zhu, Julio Cesar Chavez, and Pernell Whitaker during his 72 fight career? Sol Mambi? No, it's weather related, but that's good. That's a great shout because Sol is son in Spanish. Oh no, I, I know I know the guy. I just can't I, I can't I, I can I can picture him in my head. I could be here Give forever. Up. Yeah. Roger Mayweather. Wow! Still one more. Roger Mayweather. Roger May- I know. Costa Zhu, Julio Cesar Chavez, oh, and Bernard Whitaker. Okay. Which Bosnian German boxer who won world titles at two weights between 2003 and 2016 was really called Adnan Katic? Oh, yeah. Felix Felix Sturm. 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 Yeah, who beat, who beat uh, Oscar De La Hoya and didn't get it. Yes, so Felix Sturm, Sturm meaning storm in German. Yeah. So very well done. Uh, George is back. Multilingual you're right, you're right. In yeah, so beautiful. Like okay, here's a, one for you, Barry. In April 2010, Carl Froch defended his WBC super middleweight title overseas, but his flights were badly disrupted. Why? And what, what weight? 2010, Froch, WBC super middleweight title overseas. Listeners, I hope you're. I hope you're with me here. Oh, hold on, hold on, let me think. I'm Nicole. getting mixed up here. Two generations, so I've got to be careful. Go on, George. Kessler. Kessler. Yeah. But what? What was it that disrupted his flight so badly that he nearly could never fight him? The weather was so bad that the planes couldn't, because the engines were the, the engines 
where uh, Fredo ah arrive at the point Barry no, I've, got it, got, I've got it, I've got it, it I've got it it's it's the Mount Suvius or whatever <laughs> uh, yeah is that it yeah but what, 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 it, what it was an eruption of of uh, ah, I can't think of the name oh, of it. You're t- oh it's the, uh, the, that's the, count, the uh, volcanic, ash volcanic ash cloud. I reckon we'll give you that Barry yeah I won't give you <laughs> too late, too late too I won't late. give you no, we'll, okay that's one all okay George oh this is this is an easy one yeah. In September 1974, at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, what did Muhammad Ali famously claim to have handcuffed and thrown in jail? Lightning. Thunder. Thunder and lightning, that's right. Done. Yeah. He's pulled yeah. in, so Barry, yeah. he handcuffed thunder, lightning, thunder thrown thunder in jail. Okay, this one, Barry, to draw level and ain't got a fucking tiebreaker. Your son's fighter, Lawrence Acoli, successfully defended his WBO cruiserweight title at the yeah. O2 Arena on a Sunday night. But what was the name of the storm that put the fight in jeopardy after ripping off a section of the roof? Oh, God. <laughs> How could I possibly remember that? The name of the storm is uh, tough, uh, Yeah, exactly. but when you get it, you'll be like... Yeah. It was okay. everywhere. It's and everywhere. I bet it was really everywhere for you that week. Right. Any ideas, George? Is it Almina? Nope. So I'll give you a clue, because you know we know storms... What letter? What e. letter? Letter E. 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 Oh, I know, it is then. Go on. Eleanor. No, but it was a female name beginning yeah. with E. Well, it always is. It's yeah. always no, a female it's a, name. Is storm, it? storm, what? Uh, Emma, Ellen, Elaine. It, what was Eve? It? You're never going to get it. Should I, get, should I give it Go to on, you? Yeah. Storm Eunice. Oh, That's Eunice. Not That's not E. Is it you? It's you. Yeah, it's you, isn't it? It's of course there is. It okay, is it's one, two. So George, you can. <laughs> we've got two more. We've God got two amazing. more. So George, if you get this right, then you've won. All right. Which light welterweight boxer describes Hurricane Katrina as the best thing that ever happened to me? And then, just for a little bit of extra spice in this, he then lived through Hurricane Harvey. So he lived through two. Lived through Hurricane Harvey. Yep. Oh, and right. Barry's ready to draw this two on. You, you, you have it, Barry. Oh, no. It's Regis Progress. Yes, Regis Progress. And, uh, and he moved to uh, Houston. Houston, Texas. Yep. And he was in, in Mississippi New or New Orleans. Yeah, and he says that because of the hurricane, he had to leave. And that was when he started boxing. And he went to the new gym and he trained alongside of Vander Holyfield. Amazing story, Regis Progre. Um, no, he then trained Los Angeles, too expensive. Too back, expensive. back in uh, Yeah, so Texas, that's two yeah. all. Okay, so Barry, easy one for you. You could, you could win this. These are weird. They're very, very... You've put a lot of effort. I'll tell you what. You, t- you tried writing 10 boxing questions that have got weather-related. It's not easy. Okay, why did David Hay wear running shoes for his fight with Derek Chisora? Because it was a storm and he was, and he was slipping all over the place. That's Where correct. was the fight? Where was it? Uh, Derek Chisora. That was in the f- a football ground. Oh, what what oh, was it again? West Ham. Yeah. Okay, so Barry, that's 3-2. Right. For oh, who? To you. <laughs> <laughs> here, here we go then. He didn't want to win. To make it 3 all, George, about which fight was Don King talking when he said, after the fight, the rains came. It was like God speaking to us. Under the stadium was Rumbling the press in the jungle, room. isn't it? 1974 3-0 okay tiebreaker first person to get this wins great okay what famously fell from the sky during Evander Holyfield versus ah, Riddick Bowe was a parachutist yes the fan stuck, man stuck on the uh, he, uh, he knew that Barry's done it he knew that he I was trying to think how it was weather related well, but, uh, precipitation uh, of yeah, some exactly. sort well Barry wins 4-3 <laughs> congratulations <laughs> let, me, let well me win that was very that's, good that's uh, very that was good. a great performance from out of nowhere I mean I mean, the I'm, questions. I'm, I'm disappointed with with Saul Mamby. Yeah, very disappointed. Roger Mayweather. Fly, uh, yeah, what a career, yeah. Costa Zoo, unbelievable. Okay, mate, four three, Barry, and what a way to leave it. Game of Clones.
Barry, thanks a lot for coming in, mate. You're welcome. I really, I really, appreciate really enjoyed it. it. I'm sorry I, I, I was so long-winded about some of these stories, but the, don't the, need, the, you're not. You wasn't. You're being long-winded about the sorry. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing long-winded about it, Barry. Yeah. He was a fantastic Thank guest. You Loved much. it. Thank you. You're welcome. Delighted to be here. Did you enjoy that deck? <sighs> George, I'm I'm exhausted. What a journey that was. Yeah, what a journey. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. British Hall of Famer. You know, a household name for generations. What a great insight into his boxing career and many other political troubles that he had and everything else. It was just brilliant to have him on. That is the George Groves clout there. You've got Barry McGuigan in because he's a proper club member, isn't he? Yeah, he is a proper club member. Got um, him all the way here, all the way to Soho. 15 rounds deck. I, I, no I wanted to talk more. He didn't want to tell me more. I wanted to talk more. 15 rounds. He mm. played it down. It's not, it can't be easy. Mm. If you want more from the GGBC team, then go follow us at GG Boxing Club on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also reach us via our new Brands Banking new email address as well. Uh, email ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk and speaking of reaching out as we've created this club we want to hear from the elite club members give them a voice <laughs> you can't you can't start keep running this as an autocratic system but no sorry I won't have it the people need a voice should we uh, we'll, let, we'll add a tag yeah yeah go on ask the saint ask the saint it's not religious right on the socials right you can ask me anything godly or not um, about career or anything you know fighters past and present face-offs walkouts beyond you know anything i'm all ears right mm -hmm. and don't forget to keep sending in those requests to be on our official club playlist the ring walk and if you want more boxing in podcast form who wouldn't who wouldn't go and check out the opening bell the boxing news podcast everyone's second favorite double act matt christie and alex steedman after us i mean everyone loves them everyone loves, everyone loves the boxing news everyone loves the boxing news Go and listen to their podcast. Search for The Boxing News opening bell in your podcast app now. Now. Next week, George. Frank Smith. Smith. Uh, he's coming to talk about money. Money, 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 money. money. What? Yeah. This is one we've had people have been lounging us about. I yeah. think so. They Everyone wants to know money. about money. And who knows more about money? The guy who's been at Matchroom since he was a wee nipper. Yeah. Tell us everything we need to know. See you next week. 